0: I do encourage you to to come out this afternoon, and uh, everything that we're saying this morning ties right in with what we're going to celebrate this afternoon uh, with Peter at his baptism. Because as you can see from the slide, we're beginning a new series uh, called "Generous, Saved by a Generous God" to be a generous people. And this morning we're going to look at the richness and the generosity of God, because that's really the foundation of our generosity and in case you haven't put it all together that means for the next few weeks or so uh we're going to be talking about money we'll just let you sit in that uneasiness for a minute because nothing really uh nothing really gets us gets sorry it's okay Nothing really gets us uh, on our heels, nothing really gets us uneasy or defensive like talking about money, and, but no one has left yet, so that's good. Some of you might be working out a strategy, though, on how to get out. Some of you may be praying that your kids go berserk in kids' church and you have to get up and go. <clears throat> but for the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about money, how we view it, how we make it, how we spend it, how we save it. How we give it, and so we might as well just admit up 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 front that we're uneasy about that. We don't like to talk about money. The general attitude in our culture is it's my money and my business, and the the preacher, the church, the Bible can talk to me about lots of things, but just leave me and my money alone. It's mine, and if Gord was here, I could get him to do. A Gollum impersonation uh, which is pretty close it 's pretty close to home on how some of us view our money it 's our precious we 're going to hold it tight and don 't let anybody talk to me about it and i don 't want to talk about it either and Of course, the other general thought out there is that money is all the church is after anyway, right we don 't really care about you or your experiences or your emotions. we just care about what 's in your pocket getting into our basket, that's all we're really concerned about, and I'm just, a person like me is just a crook who couldn't really get a real job, and so I figured out a way to use the Bible to skim your wages, and that's kind of a general outlook that's out there sometimes, which, you know, I was going to wear my pinstripe double-breasted suit this morning, (laughs) but it was in the cleaner. It's been there for a long time. Been there for a long, long time. Now, all those things considered, there have been some abuses in that area, and the hurt, and the the greed, and the damage uh, that's been caused by that when a church or a church leader has gone down that road uh, is is not something that we. Uh, take lightly, uh, but just because there's been some abuse doesn't mean that we're going to shy away from talking about what the Bible says to us clearly about our money. In fact, Jesus spoke about money more than anything else, more than his teaching on heaven and hell combined uh, is the amount of teaching on money. And in fact, in the whole New Testament, one in seven verses deals with money, one in seven so when we step back and look at our reaction towards money, it's no surprise that the Bible puts such an emphasis on it. Jesus taught on it so much because he knew the hold that money can have on our lives. He knew that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, and we have an inclination to put our treasure and our heart in our wallets. And throughout history, people within the church and without have noted the power that money has on us. American industrialist Andrew Carnegie said, I would as soon leave to my son a curse as the almighty dollar. And Bon Jovi, in an interview in 1998, giving us a beautiful picture of marriage as well, said, the only thing I like more than my wife is my money, and I'm not about to lose that to her and her lawyers. (laughs) Tell us what you really mean. Showing us just how deep of an issue money can be within Christianity, Uh, Martin Luther said there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And then my good friend Charles Spurgeon said, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. And so you can see inside and outside the church, uh, people realize the power that money has on us. There's something about money, whether we have lots of it or whether we don't have very much, it still grips us right down to the core of who we are. Because when we're dealing with money, what we're dealing with is trust. We're dealing with acceptance. We're dealing with security. We're dealing with control. And those all can be seen clearly in the way we handle our money. It goes a little deeper than we'd like but when we get it right, the result is beautiful. So when we approach this series, it's a bit like shaving to waxing. Now stay with me, but <laughs> you'll see what I mean, okay? So I shave my face occasionally, and let's face it, it's never really smooth. And if it is, it is it's smooth for like 35 minutes, and I'm not even that hairy of a guy, right? Now it just cuts off the hair at the skin surface, right? Now, I've never waxed, mainly because I'm not an Olympic swimmer. But one time I did work at Green Hill Lake Camp, one time we took a counselor, we waxed his extremely hairy leg, and we ripped it off, and it was very smooth and very shiny, and I knew from the tears and the screaming that it was quite painful, right? But that's the difference, really, is that a bit like this series, when we look about what the Bible says about money, and how we view it, and how we save it, and how we give it, and how we spend it, and we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and change us, it's like we're putting on that wax strip, okay? And when we pull that wax strip, we're pulling out issues about trust, issues about security, issues about control issues about acceptance, okay, they're deeper issues, but they show themselves in how we handle our money, and so when we allow the Holy Spirit to use his word to uh, change us on our views of money, we're ripping out that, that wax strip, okay, and just like with that guy, it might be painful, there might be some tears, okay, because it's ripping out some deeper issues, but the result is beautiful. Okay. (laughs) See, I told you to stay with me. The result is smooth, beautiful, generous church reflecting the fact that we have a generous God. Billy Graham said that if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. And so that should get us excited about this, ser- this series, but also see the seriousness in it, okay? If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it should help sort out every other area in his life. And so we should have a serious excitement about this uh, upcoming series. So hopefully that helps you as we approach this series to listen, to engage, uh, to seek God's heart in this and how God wants to change us and our attitudes and our views on money. Even if at this point you're just willing to stay in the room, I'll take that as well. All right, so let's pray. Let's ask God to help us in this because we need it, and then we'll... uh, We'll jump into our, to our scripture. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for meeting with us and your presence here with us. And as we now look at your word, we do want to be changed by it. We want your Holy Spirit to convict us of any wrong thinking that we have, wrong uh, ways of doing things. We want to be conformed into the image of your son, and we want that to include the way that we view and handle our money. And so we just ask you, Father, send your spirit uh, in this time. We want to be open to you, and uh, we just want to be in awe of your generosity and be changed by how generous and rich you are towards us. So come, Father, by your spirit, open our eyes uh, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we wanted to start this series by laying a bit of a foundation for everything else that we're we're going to talk about. For much of this series, we'll talk about our generosity, our giving, the way we handle uh, money. But really, that all flows from the generosity of God to us. And so I'm not sure what notions of God you came in here with this morning. Maybe you don't uh, see it right now that God is generous. Maybe because of some experiences in your life and your past... Your upbringing, uh, or things that are going on right now, you find it hard to believe that God is anything but poor and stingy—that He doesn't want what's best for you. But the reality is, He is a rich and generous God. And so, let's open our Bibles to Second Corinthians, chapter eight. Second Corinthians, chapter eight, is one of the uh, is a is a chapter that's just all about. Giving, Paul's writing to the Corinthians about he's trying to collect uh, an offering for the people in Jerusalem who are in a famine and they're in uh, in persecution, and Paul wants to gather some money to help them out. And what he's doing here in chapter eight to help the Corinthians in their giving, he shows them the example of the Macedonians and how they've given. And so for the first five verses, he's going to point them to the Macedonians. And then in 6, he flips it around on them. And there's a lot in here about giving and a lot that I'd like to uh, point out, but I'll hold myself back. And then we'll focus in on verse 9, okay? So 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. You guys can go ahead and put the slide up. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace... ...of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look at that. You don't have to be rich to give. They gave even out of their extreme poverty. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints... And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, this giving of their money. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay. So Paul doesn't say that they have to give. He doesn't make it a requirement. In verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command. Um, So he's not laying on them more law. He's not trying to bend their will. Uh, he also doesn't, you know, like pull on their heartstrings by showing them a picture of a person in Jerusalem that's gone under, undergone persecution. And Titus plays the piano in the background softly and, and get them all to give. Uh, he's not duty driven. He's not pulling them by pity. He, what he's doing is showing them the generosity of God in the gospel, okay? And so our giving isn't out of duty. It's not out of emotional pity. It's about seeing what Jesus has done and being motivated by the gospel to give. It's an overflow and a reflection of the greater generosity of God on our lives. And so the key verse there is verse 9, for you know The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so let's unpack that a bit. First, we see uh, that God is a rich God. Though he was rich, he became poor. And so first, before we talk about God being a generous God, we need to understand that God is a rich, rich God. God. Understanding the richness of God gives his generosity a greater impact. His richness is the reservoir that his generosity flows out of. Generosity is great and impactful no matter what uh, the value is of what is given. We we see that everywhere. We see it with, uh, you know, in the sandwich run. What's the total value of a ham sandwich and a pop? It's probably not even a dollar when uh, Pete Chalmers buys them in bulk at the co-op, right? But the impact from that is intense, right? It's great. It's uh, so we we don't want to just limit uh, the impact of generosity to a rich uh, giving. A small giving can be just as impactful. We see that with uh, the woman in the Bible who gave two coins, and Jesus said, "Great, great she is because she gave all that she had." But So we don't want to lose that. At the same time, we need to understand that God isn't a widow with two coins, right? He is a rich, generous God. He's rich and he gives us his best. And so what do we mean that God is rich? What does he abound in? What does he have an infinite supply of? Well, some things the Bible specifically tells us is is that he's rich In resources, Acts 17.25 says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, for he alone gives life and breath and everything. He needs nothing. He has everything. There's no lack. You can go ahead and move the slide up. You with me, buddy? All right, good. Just checking. Job 41.11 says, God... God says, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And so we get a a bit of a picture of the greatness of what God owns, his richness. In response to the sacrifices of Israel, God says in Psalm 50, every beast of the forest is mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a way of saying, whatever you give me is mine already. I own the whole created world order it's all his he owns it all everything we see around us is his and if you're if you say you know well being truly rich is more than just uh, possessions it's more than just stuff it's more than just resources you're right and God's got that covered as well in Romans nine twenty three, he's rich in glory he is rich in grace ephesians 1 7 he is rich in mercy ephesians 2 4 he is rich in kindness and forbearance and patience romans 2 4 romans 11:33. 33 oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of god exodus 34 he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness in the trinity he is rich relationally enjoying a friendship and a unity that we will never fully understand. In every area you would want to be rich in, God is rich in it. He checks all the boxes. He is infinitely rich. He owns everything, Everything is His. And so why is that important to get down to get in our in our grasp Because, at the first sign of hardship, at the first sign of difficulty, at the beginning of some lack, some need, <clears throat> we can start to hear the lie that, well, God can't fill that. God can't meet that need. God can't support you. If you give here and you give there, He's going to leave you high and dry. God can't satisfy that longing. He's stretched thin, He's depleted. His mercy has run dry. He might be rich in grace, but the deficit of your sin is just too much. And so at the first sign of anything, the enemy will come in with the lie that God is not rich. He is poor. He is poor in mercy. He is poor in grace. He is poor in resources. He is poor in glory. And that's the strategy that he comes with. That's why the richness of God is so important to stand on. If you give generously, you know what? You may have to downgrade your lifestyle. But also know this, Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to be anxious saying, But, 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 if I give generously, if I give here and I give there, What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And Jesus says, Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. That's what the world worries about. That's who people who aren't, who don't have God as their rich and generous father, that's how they worry. That's how they think. You have a heavenly father who knows that you need them all. You can give generously for his kingdom, for all those things shall be added unto you. God is a rich God. And no matter what kind of sinful life we may have lived and what kind of debt we may have put ourselves in, He is rich. He is rich. Your sin has not exhausted the richness of the grace of God. Your sin has not exhausted the riches of the grace of God. We'll pause there, we'll come back to God's richness in a minute. I want to move on to uh, his generosity, because not only is he a rich God, he's a generous God. And it's one thing to be rich, it's quite another to be generous with your riches. And God is unbelievably generous with what he has. So before we even look at uh, this verse that shows us one area that he's generous I just want to help you get a bigger picture for the generosity of God. first, he gives to every man, woman, and child, no matter if they mock him, disgrace him, rebel against him, even believe uh, even don't even believe that he exists. God gives to all people generously Math, or Jesus said in Matthew 5 that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He gives to both. Psalm 145 says the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all. There is an aspect of God's generosity that everyone enjoys whether they recognize it or not, or credit Him, or give Him thanks, or not. In this way, God is a generous God to all. So whether I was a follower of Christ or not, God has given to me generously in giving me a wife, giving me kids, giving me a, a warm, safe house to live in, in finding $20 on the supermarket floor yesterday that paid for my whole grocery order. God is a generous God. There's a common grace that God gives generously to all people, the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. He is a generous God. And if you say, if he's such a generous God who gives so much, why is there so much suffering? Why are there so many terrible things? The only reason we see those sufferings and those terrible things is because he's given us so much to enjoy. If God wasn't a generous God, it would just be suffering and terrible things. He's a generous God, so we have so many things to enjoy and take delight in and take pleasure in. James says that he's a good, or every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father above. So whether we notice it or not, the chirping birds in the spring, the sunsets, bacon wrapped scallops, It's all the generosity of God in our life. He could make a scallop taste like a golf ball if he wanted, right? He could make bacon taste like cardboard. He's a generous God. So I just wanted you to see that because whether you're a Christian here this morning or not, you need to see that no matter what experiences you've gone through or are going through, God is incredibly generous to you, and Romans two four says that his purpose in him pouring out the riches of his kindness to you is meant to lead you to repentance, to turning to him and giving your life to him. He's been incredibly generous, pouring out the riches of his kindness to you, and his purpose is so that you'd repent and turn your life to him. But then. Here in Romans or 2 Corinthians 8, it becomes even greater uh, because we're not just talking about, you know, bacon wrapped scallops. We're talking about uh, what Jesus has done for us in the giving of himself. And so 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. And so not only does God give generously for your sake, he became he gave it all. Many wealthy people are generous, and they give a lot because they have a lot. Uh, they give lots to charities and foundations. Some of them make a show of it. In Oprah's case, a literal show of it. Others don't, and it's all secret. Bill Gates is worth $79 billion. He's given away $28 billion. None of us will ever come close to making what he's given away, but yet he hasn't given to the extent that he's become poor. Jesus, though he was rich for your sake, became poor. No one has been so high as Jesus and become so low. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. He gave it all up, came to earth as a man. All the worship and the glory in heaven was replaced with mocking and spitting, and ridicule, and betrayal, and plots to murder, and murder. He gave up his very life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus says in John 10, nobody takes my life. I give it freely. I lay it down. He was rich in glory. He became poor in glory. He was rich in righteousness. He became Sin. He was rich relationally, perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. When he went to the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In all the things he was rich in, he became poor in. There is nothing for it to be compared to. Though he was rich, he became poor. He gave it all. Why would he do it? Why would Jesus, though he was rich, become poor in every imaginable way? Paul tells us, for your sake, for your sake, he became poor. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. It's unbelievable. For your sake, he became poor. For my sake, he became poor. For you, he did it. In all our stinginess and our greediness and our filthiness and our lust and our hatred and our pride and our self-pity and our jealousy, he became poor for us. He gave up heaven and came to earth. He endured the pain and the suffering for our sake. Though he was rich, he became poor. A rich person Like Jesus has never had more of a right to hold on to what he has. A rich person like Jesus has never had more of a right to hang on to what he has. Us in our sin, there's never been more of an undeserving poor as us in our sin. Jesus never had, no one has more of a right to hang on to what he has than Jesus. Us in our sin, There's been no greater undeserving poor than us. And no one has ever given so much as what Jesus gave on the cross. Do you understand that calculation? No one has more of a right to hold on to what he has. There has never been more of an undeserving poor as us in our sin and our wretchedness and all our filthiness. And no one has ever given as much as he gave. You need to see what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Through his poverty, we are now rich. Through his death, we now have eternal life. It is the mind-blowing display of the generosity of God when we see Jesus on the cross. Through Jesus, we have more than we can ever Imagine, it's like God can't stop himself from giving. When Jesus leaves, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to empower you, to comfort you, to give you gifts, to witness to the world, to bring the good news. He gives us eternity with him. We're in his presence, his fullness of joy, and at his right hand our pleasures forevermore where we'll sit in his presence and he will eternally completely give of himself he is an eternally generous god he cannot stop giving amy carmichael said you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving and god is love and he continually gives of himself So hopefully you see how this would affect our own giving, how this would affect our own generosity. Grasping the generosity of God should change how we view our own generosity. Because God has given me so much, because he has poured himself out for my sake, I'm now liberated, I'm now motivated to give in the same way. I'm now motivated to be generous with all that I have. In this series, we might be focusing in more on money, but because God has been generous with me, I'm now free to be generous in all areas of my life. I'm free to be generous at my workplace with my time. I'm free to be generous with my help and my energy. I'm free to be generous with my home and my resources. We're going to focus in on money, but the broad sweep is a lot greater than just our money. Because God has been generous with us, we can be a generous people. God has poured His love generously into our hearts, and it should spill over into every area of our life. We now love because He first loved us. And just like that Amy Carmichael quote, if we love, then we give. So now, because God has been so generous to me, I don't need to put my trust in money because I can put my trust in God. I don't need to use money to be accepted by those around me because I'm accepted in Christ. I don't need to have a big bank load of money uh, to have my security because I'm secure in Christ. I can be content with what I have because I know God will never leave me or forsake me. I don't need to use money to gain control because I'm controlled by the Spirit of the living God. This is how God generously pouring Himself out to us changes how we can be generous with our money. I don't give out of duty. I don't give out of peer pressure or pity or following rules or keeping up appearances or keeping up with my neighbors. I give generously because I've been given generously through Jesus. I've been saved by a generous God to be a generous person. In a minute, I'll... uh, Turn things over to Ben, and we're going to celebrate communion together. But I just want to bring us back uh, to one thing there at the first, is that God just isn't a generous God. He's a rich God, and how that impacts our giving is that we need to remember that we don't. He doesn't need anything that we're giving. We cannot give Him something that He does not already have. He is a rich, rich God. He does not need our giving to accomplish anything. God is not a beggar on the street corner waiting for you to put your nickel in so that he can accomplish what he wants to do this weekend. He is able to do whatever he wills to do. Without your tithe, your gifts, or your offerings, he is able to do it. He is a rich, rich, God, because when we start to see God, not as a rich God, but as a poor God, that we give him things, then we can easily start to fall in to the lie that says, I'm going to work, and I'm going to give, 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 and I'm going to put God in my debt, and then he's going to roll out the red carpet and welcome me into his kingdom through all my giving, and you don't put God into your debt. Because he is a rich, rich God. So you can give your money and you can give your time, but you cannot buy eternal life in God's presence. If you want to experience the full generosity of God through Jesus, you need to understand that it is a free gift. Freely given. It costs him his life. It costs you nothing and it's available to you right now. Just like we did sang in worship and Joe sang, um, we just need to call on the name of Jesus. You don't have to jump through 29 hoops. You don't have to give X amount of dollars. It's available to you. The generosity of God's grace on your life is free, and it's available this morning. So even this morning... If you come from a checkered past and things you've done and things done to you, the list is too long and too horrible to mention. The generosity of God in salvation, forgiveness, freedom, healing, restoration is available to you this morning. He is a generous, generous God. Your sin has not exhausted the riches of His grace. You need to know that this morning. Your sin has not exhausted the richness of the grace of God. And if you come from an outwardly slick, clean life where you've been working and giving and giving and giving and giving with the motivation that you're going to put God into your debt, you're going to buy eternal life with your hard work, this morning you can turn from it all and find salvation and forgiveness and rest in the riches of God's steadfast love and mercy and grace. This is why it's so important to get down that God is a rich, rich God, that we give him nothing that he does not already have, and that he is a generous, generous God, freely giving of himself. His word says he gives us life and breath And everything, which means if you're here this morning, he has given you life and he has given you breath and he wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you the breath of his Holy Spirit in you that gives you eternal life. He gave it all through his son. It costs you nothing. Freely, we have received. Now freely, we can give. So as we celebrate communion together, we just need to remember that the cost paid for our salvation is not something that we've put up. We can't buy it. But it's because of His body and His blood shed for us that brought us salvation. And we can be released to give generously. We're going to look at a lot of other things on money in the upcoming weeks. We need to hold that firmly, stand on it through the whole series. I have a rich and generous God who has given to me freely, abundantly, eternally, completely of himself. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. It truly does.